What's going on, everybody? My name is Christian Gujanov, and I want to welcome you to Peak Performance Principles. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about the principles in order to achieve and sustain peak performance. So if you want to get better, if you want to improve your performance, you're in the right place. Let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome to this special episode of Peak Performance Principles. I've got a couple of guests on with me today. I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves, but uh, we've got Brad, Monica, and Sasha. They're going to talk to us today a little bit about a really, really cool program that is designed for enhancing performance. Uh, we're going to talk about mindfulness. Uh, we'll talk about flow. We're going to talk about some awesome stuff today. So I want to thank you three for being on and everyone listening. So I'm going to start. Let's start with Brad. Do you want to introduce yourself and then we'll pass it on to Monica and then Sasha? Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that. Um, my name is Brad Manuel. I am a mindfulness coach with RSG Performance. Um, just uh, wrapped up uh, a degree with the University of Utah in psychology and um, enjoy working with athletes. And I am Monica Manuel. Um, I am a trained MP coach um, for, for fun, but um, by day <laughs> um, I, I run, I'm the VP of operations for a, a big um, insurance brokerage. Um, and so um, have the, that lab to work in to uh, pull performance out of people in a corporate environment. It's a lot of fun for me. All right. Thanks so much, Christian. I'm Sasha Dingle and I have been a mountain biker and a skier for most of my life. I competed on the Freeride World Tour and then just switched back to my what was my off-season sport on the Enduro World Series last summer. And I teach mindfulness meditation, and I do it with um, kind of high performers, athletes, school leaders, uh, um, healthcare providers, but across really the the – client doesn't change, but it's the life situations that change for the different programs I offer. So kind of therapeutic resilience and then performance, which is the kind of the performance pieces are where I've been collaborating with Brad and Monica, and we have um, some programs coming up around that. Nice. That is awesome. So I think this is kind of a cool little group of people. I know a lot of folks listening we have laugh. We have a lot of athletes. We have a lot of business owners, kind of corporate corporate athletes, as some people call them. Um, and we have a lot of just kind of weekend warrior type of people. So um, you guys are kind of covering all the bases there. It's just awesome. So uh, what I'd like to get started with is just I know you, a few of you kind of mentioned M Peak. Um, I know I personally have kind of looked into this program. Uh, we have a mutual friend that's done this program with you guys. So. Could you guys maybe tell us a little about what MPEAK is and kind of go into some detail about kind of how it can help and what, what, what areas of performance it really focuses in and how it can help performance? Yeah, um, I can start and Sasha, Monica, you guys can add in if that works. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, MPEAK stands for Mind Mindful Performance Enhancement Awareness and Knowledge. Originally, it was a collaboration between UCSD's Center for Mindfulness and their School of Medicine, along with the coaches of the 2014 U.S. Olympic BMX cycling team. 
But the purpose of the program was to enhance resilience in their high-level sport performers. Um, and obviously with the idea of integrating mind, mindfulness with, uh, in, into the training. Um, and the goal was to help them to perform more optimally or achieve flow states even under performance-related stress. So the pilot research program, um, once they went through it, it suggested that how well our brains respond to internal stress signals may be the signature of resilience and optimal performance. Um, when I started, uh, I came about in peak myself right after I came out of um, um, an adventure race. And I was really just interested in all the, the studies, all the science, um, everything that basically anybody had to say about human performance. Um, I why feel like it, it should be said it was a 200 mile adventure race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say endurance. There's a lot of little, like, you know, it's a 10 mile, no, right. 200 miles. Yeah, so. Um, That's a long drive. Yeah, it, it was, it was, um, it was a five day um, mental journey. Uh, it was physical too. Yeah, it was mental. Uh, uh, but it was, um, it was just an, a, a, a really a transformative experience that caused me to start questioning, you know, what is it about our, our, our ability to sustain um, these mental struggles, these, these uh, physical um, uh, uh, sensations that would normally just tell us to stop and quit. And so that's when I came about uh, MPEAK. I, I found, um, my wife actually found a book um, called Endurance that uh, had all the latest science in it. And um, at the end of it, it spoke about MPEAK as a, one of the latest cutting edge training programs out of UCSD School of Medicine. And I think two months later, we were on a flight going down there. Um, but the, you know, the, the program again, um, it's designed to increase someone's knowledge of the science and the components of performance. It's to increase their self-awareness uh, and ultimately to enhance their performance uh, by helping them dial in or tap into more flow experiences. And then, you know, the, the initial pilot study was 2014. Since that, the MPEAK has been offered to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security um, the Navy SEALs and other, uh, several other Olympic teams. Yeah. And I think that language around corporate athlete, um, in your audience fits so well with the three of us and that kind of history of it being originally developed with the BMX Olympic cycling team, but it's kind of pulling these, um, tools, methodologies, really mind training, um, from that world of athletics and leveraging it into all these other spaces of high performance, whether that's your family life as a parent, whether that's, you know, um, your work life leading teams or, or if you are an athlete. Um, but it's, it's kind of that mind basis, mind exercise, uh, equivalent of getting in the gym for your mind to leverage these things like flow and kind of that top level of performance from the best of what we know and how to train that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and endurance is an important part of that. I mean, especially for corporate athletes. With an athlete, a physical athlete, generally there are seasons. 
Um, there are, you know, periods of exertion, whereas a corporate athlete is doing their thing eight, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, day in, week in, month in, year in, year out. And um, the ability to be aware of where you are internally, where are you in your environment, where are you headed, um, and um, how do you sustain, how do you thrive and be healthy and kill it all at the same time. Um, I don't know how you would have successfully do that without the ability to deploy mindfulness strategies. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, uh, I think a lot of people think about mindfulness as like a, like almost like a, you're sitting down and you're kind of focusing on what you're doing right now. But dude, it sounds like you, from what you guys are saying, it's not, it's not just like a, it's an active thing, right? So it's, it's, it's something that you're actively doing and like, as you're performing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do think there are a lot of misconceptions that have to get, um, we kind of have to work with that layer before we can even set somebody up for a successful way to train this, right? Like the idea that Mm -hmm. it's about feeling relaxed. It's about being blissed out. I think mindfulness meditation, which trains the ability to have this focus of self-awareness and this resilience in your performance life probably feels as consistently good as going to the gym, right? Like if you were told that it's always going to feel great because there are these endorphins that get released, it's, it's hard work and it ebbs and flows, you know, the contents of what thoughts show up, what sensations are in your body, what needs to be modified. Um, It's the same thing here. And it's really dependent on the conditions of your life and what you're, you're up against. Like Monica's saying, if you're day in, day out um, with these high level pressures coming at you constantly, that shows up in your practice too. So um, yeah, it's really about leaning in so closely to what's showing up in your experience so that you can take the learnings into these areas of Mm -hmm. your life that really matter. Yeah. Nice. And when you, so like with MP, right. The performance enhancement, I think a lot of people will kind of understand, you know, what that means. What, what, is, what is acceptance and knowledge? What, what does that portion of, of it have to do with MPEAK and kind of mindfulness and performance? So, um, so the, it's uh, mindful, mindful performance enhancement, awareness and knowledge. And so the, the awareness is back to the idea that, um, I mean, well, that's with, this is with the mindfulness integration that we're, we're teaching somebody or, or providing the tools to become increasingly aware of themselves, of their external responses, of their internal responses. Um, and, you know, from the knowledge standpoint, it's really, I mean, comprehensive when you think about what the program offers. It combines mm-hmm. the latest in sport, uh, psychology, positive psychology, mindfulness training, and it's just a comprehensive look at um, at the way our bodies function in performance. And life is performance, work, sport, and life. And so that's why we, you know, when we look at it, it's, it's, it's completely across the board, just a, um, a way of being. And as far as the awareness goes, I mean, you think about your interoception and your ability to look inward and kind of see that inner landscape and make a correlation between um, the way you're thinking, your mental approach to something, the emotions you're experiencing, and um, the the sensations you're experiencing 
and how those impact your response to the world around you. So your awareness of the world around you, if you think about your ability to master that um, correlates directly to your ability to have successful negotiations, successful competition, successful um, decision-making, re- decision-making relationships, mm-hmm. communication. So it's so applicable across so many areas of performance. Nice. And what does the program look like? Like, what is the, like when you say you guys flew out to campus and stuff, like what, what does that look like? So MPEAK is offered um, in a couple of different ways. Uh, the way that we participated in the program was a three-day intensive at UCSD School of Medicine and their Center for Mindfulness. And it was probably about, it was almost a full three days, but it mm-hmm. was in a classroom with 25 other people. And I think by the time we came through, which was the spring of 2018, uh, we were probably the second or third cohort that has come through since the initial study, the initial research study was conducted mm-hmm. on the, the Olympic athletes. And so, but by the time we were there, there were 25 people in the room from all over the world, literally all over the world, Brazil, China, London, Australia, Canada. Um, wow. And they were all there to learn um, the latest in, uh, in, in, a, in a mindfulness program that was performance related and so um going in it was uh two three days of experiential practice and mind you i mean my wife and i we we went there with literally no mindfulness experience (laughs) right maybe isn't the way to go it's it's probably not the way to go (laughs) i think they had it but they just got a framework and a language to put to what they were already doing yeah it's it's true, it's true. It's, that's, Sasha, that's Sasha we've talked enough to know that Sasha knows our story but it's true I mean it's true that a lot of those the concepts um I mean they're they're ancient and they're mm. they're applicable in so many different cultures and settings because they're true mm-hmm. and so what MPEAK did for us was bring it together in a curriculum that taught us why this stuff was happening in our minds and in our bodies. It taught us about this, our stress response. It taught us to become more aware of when we're triggered and to be able to see that so that then we have enough time to be able to make a choice. Do I react or do I respond? And so it's been hugely beneficial. And the, you know, the weekend program it's kind of fast and furious. There's a lot of great knowledge, a lot of science that, that kind of tries to tie all this together. Um, but it's very experiential. There's a lot of practicing in it so that we can, get, you know, develop and, and give skills to people. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's busy. And then you go into a six week follow up um, where you're meeting uh, weekly afterward, um, once per week, like on a Zoom call. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that, so that three day, when you're talking about like the practices kind of the, the, that you're doing there, what's like an example of one that you can recall that was kind of very impactful for you or one that kind of sticks out to you? Go for it, Sasha. Okay. I'm up. Um, yeah. So it's a mix of, I would say, um, kind of dedicated, mindfulness practices and integrated practices that are more similar to something you do in your daily life, right? Like you're walking in daily life, you're um, 
you're eating, um, that kind of thing. Uh, you're having performance anxiety in different places. So, um, I'll, one that I love because it brings about that performance anxiety, um, is, you know, we did it in a, brought it up in a pretty simple way of just walking to the front of the room, grabbing an apple, needing to throw it at a target, the whole room's watching you. Maybe if you're a baseball <laughs> player, like, um, or softball player, like surrounds Brad and Monica's family, this isn't anxiety provoking, but for those of us who <laughs> are on, you know, skis and bikes and stuff, it's, you know, you really, you, you feel that. So we're, we're in different ways, we're eliciting, um, that performance anxiety and getting to practice real time, some of the theory, but also, um, what, you know, we're training in the dedicated mindfulness practices. So I'm seeing dedicated being like, you know, from timer goes off to timer ends, um, you're specifically kind of training as, uh, attention and focus versus integrated as you bring these elements of mindfulness to something that you're, you're doing throughout your life. Um, and I, I think that that accelerates the, the grabbing of the concepts and the being the, the ability to actually pull them out when stakes are high. Right. So, um, M peak is generally taught with this immersion up front and then this, the six weeks of follow-up so that you then can integrate the skills and practice them and they stick in a sustainable way. Um, with the weekend workshop that we're doing, it's neat that you're going to be in your own home space and you get the immersion activity or the immersion space that you would in the, the three-day, two-and-a-half-day workshop initially, but you're right there at home. So it's like you can integrate as you go versus leaving and yeah. then coming back. And I think that's a really powerful thing um, because you put your mind to the training and then you get to action it right away where it really really matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I know I've, I've done a little bit of research on it and, and some people may, this might be the first time they're hearing about it. What's the, what's the relation between it within kind of the MP and the curriculum and the program there? What's the relation between mind and body? Like what's the connection there? Yeah. So, so mindfulness is a embodied attention. And so, um, it's, it's not just about the mind. You're, you're training this new way of being in relationship to the body, interoception, the signals that come from inside the body. Um, mm -hmm. And so a lot of it is about, in a way, kind of recognizing when you're overusing this thinking mind and conceptual, um, you know, thoughts can be overrated sometimes, especially when you're, you're doing things like you're in a game or you're about to compete and go down a course there's sort of this ability to uh, put that aside for a moment and boom, come back to the body. Cause that, those tangible signals from the body, the things like the breath, they're right here and happening right now. And so it can kind of pull us back from the time traveling that we can do into past and future with our mind um, into right now. So the body's used in that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and I'll, just to tack on from an experience or experiential perspective, um, and Sasha alluded to it, in that all of all of our experience prior to MPEAK was, um, you know, life, obviously, but more so trail running. And so that exactly what Sasha described that mindfulness teaches in such a 
um, and uh, such an effective um, and deep rooted way. I, my Monica and I both kind of came about that through being out on a trail. And especially when you are performing your, your um, running ultras um, you're, you're spending hours out on the mountain climbing or moving along and you're, and you're doing your best to manage Mm -hmm. your physiology. You're doing your best to manage your breath and you're, you're checking in consistently from head to toe with your body to make sure that, you know, all systems are go. And so that, that, that description that, that Sasha um, put out there in terms of the connection with the body, I, I, I relate to only, you know, and primarily because um, that's how I came about it. That's how I learned. That's, that's, that was mindfulness. And just to give one other application example, because Brad's right. I mean, well, there's a lot of ways to apply this, but if you think about sales and like Sasha referenced um, that relationship between your, your mind and your body um, for years, I've taught people how to sell. And, and if you start referencing self um, in your communications where you're trying to make a sale, for example, or negotiate, well, the, the realm of yourself is not where the, the decision is being made. The person you're trying to sell or negotiate with is going to make their decisions based on their needs. And so if you're not in the realm of understanding and being tuned into their needs because you're being so overridden by self-referential thoughts, you're going to blow it. Well, similar, like, and I know, Christian, you like to talk about flow. If you have a lot of self-referential thoughts going on where you're worried about tied, uh, worried about your own performance or tied to a attached to a specific outcome thinking about like Sasha said the time travel future outcomes versus being in the moment like trail uh, trail running you have to be in the moment with managing your physiology and your breath paying attention to where you are so you don't get injured and you can sustain same thing with like a negotiation you've got to understand where you are and manage that what's your audience what what are they there for what are their needs and what are you how are you addressing those um it, it just applies in so many different ways so that relationship between mind and body and your breath to regulate your nerves <laughs> and your your sympathetic nervous system and, and your parasympathetic nervous system it all it all relates so mm-hmm. I, again whether you realize it or not i don't know how you perform without it yeah and emotions show up in the body first the signals of emotions right so if we're used to looking toward our bodies for information, you can get those cues a little quicker. And like Monica was saying, you can have, there's that interplay too, and in that with, we mirror each other. And so we can pick up signals from other people that we actually feel in our own, own bodies, the part of the brain, the insula that trains this emotional component of empathy, that ability to kind of feel somebody else's signals in my own body is the same part of the brain that we train this, this body awareness and self-awareness. So um, there's a lot of uh, it is of body and mind connection in, in the program and, and how we train. Yeah, and no, no, I think that was one thing that I think a lot of people talk about how when they're performing, there's this and that's kind of flow, right? When your mind and your body are gelling perfectly together and you're able to play freely. I thought that was one of the, when I was kind of researching MP, I think that was one thing that was really it kind of stood out to me that was really interesting is this connection and in, in the practice that you do of training your mind with your body and your body with your mind and being able to couple those two things together. I just thought was really awesome. Um, there's one thing that I hear a lot of, like when I work with athletes and work with individuals, when they're performing, if that's sports, if that's in the middle of a sale 
uh, a sales pitch or whatever it is, right? They, a lot of athletes will talk about how their mind will wander or they'll kind of like lose focus or lose attention. If you're in the middle of a sale, you kind of like your mind wanders to something else you have to do. What's like something that you guys would recommend maybe within MP or just in your experience, like to bring yourself back to the present moment, to kind of bring your attention back to from wandering and back to what you're supposed to be kind of focusing on. What, what would you guys say would be some things that could help do that? So Sasha mentioned that mindfulness practice is kind of like going to the gym and doing repetitions for your, for your mind. Yeah. Um, it's attention It's placing your attention and being able to bring it back. So like a common meditation practice, for example, would be anchoring to your breath and the, the practice or the, the repetitions of bringing your attention back to your breath. It's natural for your mind to wander. Studies show that our minds wander 47% of the time or something like that. Like half the time our minds are just wandering. Um, And so the ability to practice and strengthen your neurology, the actual physiology of your, your brain, your neurons, change when you practice mindfulness. That's why it makes people perform better. Um, you're able to, to bring your attention back and sustain focus and attention. Um, and so practice, 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 definitely. But having an anchor. So like, for example, we tell you not to attach to a certain outcome, but you need to have your guidance in your GPS system. So the cool thing about performance-based mindfulness is you can talk about and envision and, and define what is the outcome you're trying to accomplish, but then you can kind of let go of that and come back to the present moment and know that the work you're doing now and the focus you're bringing to the present moment is in alignment with where you want to go. And you're going to place your attention on the things that you can control. And that will put you in in the best position to realize that outcome, but you can let go of it and be in the moment and, and, and perform. Mm -hmm. Right. And through the meditations, single pointed focus is, one element of focus that we train or one element of attention that we train, but we're, and we're training, uh, attention's kind of like a zoom lens, right? So you can, you can have it on a really narrow point of focus, or you can widen it so that you can attend to the own signals of the signals in your body, but also see what's happening around you and, you know, your teammates moving around you. Um, and you can have your attention get pulled to, something that's distracting, which, which happens, things grab our attention, whether it's a sound or something internal, you know, a sensation in, the, in your body, um, but that ability to release it and move it somewhere else. So there, it's through these meditation and even sort of mindfulness meditation, it's, it's like different sports or different exercises to train specific things. And so we work on all those different pieces of training attention. Yeah, and I think that, um, yeah, the ability to train those different senses, um, just to be aware, as Sasha talked about, opening up our awareness as you practice, as you develop um, a a routine that is just part of your training regimen, then you start to develop acuity in your ability to notice sounds more or just to even notice when you, your thoughts to notice when you do mind wander and that right there, just the ability to know that your mind has wandered is mindfulness. And that's the start of it is just recognizing it. And then if need be pulling yourself back to focus, 
Um, or even just practicing sometimes where you don't have to pull yourself back to focus. You can just sit in open awareness and just practice being here now and, um, and experiencing those different sensations. And that's the practice. That's, that's, that's where attention is really developed. And, and I, you know, you talked about going to the gym, but that specific practice is where I'll tell clients and athletes, that's where like the heavy lifting is done. The ability to get to the point where you understand how to have an anchor in a meditation, how to have a point of contact, um, to exercise these, these different elements, but then ultimately to get to a point where you can sit and just be, be open and, and mentally note everything that's around you without any attachment. And the cool thing is when that translates to you being in a performance moment or just post a performance moment and you recognize, oh, that's my inner critical coach talking to me again. Or, oh, I'm telling a story out of that. I'm making meaning out of that that isn't necessary. And you can just and be aware, oh, I'm thinking that and that's not useful or in alignment with the, out, the outcome I'm looking to pursue and, and notice it and then choose a different place to put your attention because of the practice you did while you're in performance mode or just recovering from. Right. It puts control and agency back in the hands of the performer. Mm -hmm. You start to mm, be able I to like see that. the, you start to be able to see the the subtleties instead of just the more obvious signals. So, um, you know, we can typically feel our body more when we're moving, but we can train that ability to notice all of these different signals from the body that some of them that are more subtle or things like emotions, you know, um, I've with, with skiing, um, I've had a lot of people say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still afraid. I fear showing up like I must, or even in your meditation practice, this emotion showing up, I must be a terrible meditator. And it's, no, these things still present themselves. And so you're really getting at the subtlety of, you know, is fear showing up because this is dangerous and there's no way I'm going to jump off that cliff today, back off, go home. Or is fear showing up because it looks scary and it would just show up for any normal human looking at something that looks scary, but this is well within my ability. And so um, I, can, I can do this. So really getting at those, those subtle distinctions from this awareness is, is key. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I love the, the, the placing your awareness. So, when you are distracted, right? Where do you feel like a, your awareness shifts? So, if you're if you're in the middle of performance, where does like your awareness go? Yeah, and if you know that, if you're aware of that, now you can do something about it. Yeah, so like you recognizing that your awareness has shifted somewhere else, and then by training that ability to recognize, hey, this is not where I'm supposed to be you can bring it back to where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And the ability to bring it back is really no different than if you want to be a great free throw shooter, you gotta, you gotta practice throwing free throws. Right, yeah. You got to stand at the line and you got to throw shot after shot, after shot, after shot. So that when the time comes, when it matters, you can, you know what to do, you know, Oh, I, my mind has wandered. I've lost focus here. This is what I do. And you pulled you back to the moment. I've watched Brad teach 
um, baseball player after softball player after baseball player after softball player. Um, the same concept, for example, when they're getting in the batter's box. And Sasha mentioned the the she didn't say it this way, but broad to fine focus, right? Um, and so and and their ability to have that broad focus when they step in the box and understand what the the game situation is, and then bring the fine focus to where they can see the ball off the fingers of the pitcher at the point of release. And, and they know going in what their thoughts and stories are like, am I going in? Yes, yes, yes. I'm swinging and I can check. No. Or am I going in worried? I'm going to strike out. What are my thoughts? What's my pre-performance routine and watching him walk these little kids through it. And then I've been able to take those same lessons and watch corporate, while corporate athletes, grown men and women through the same thing. And just watching that same fundamental apply to like an eight year old or a, 48-year-old. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and it really allows for performance that's sustained over time versus a one-off performance because we talked about that bi-directional feedback system between the, the mind and the body. And you can start to see how you know thoughts in the mind are, are getting in the way of your performance. If you might be trained and ready to go um, and vice versa, if you're not, you know, supporting your body with the conditions, your physical health, uh, that impacts performance at a mental level. You feel foggy, you can't concentrate. So um, just seeing this again allows for supporting what's most needed in order to keep that performance continuing over the long run. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So just to recap, so with, if an athlete, their mind wanders, probably the best thing they could do, right. Is just like, if you've never practiced a free throw and you have to shoot a free throw, good luck. Like that's going to be a struggle. So if you, the, the practice is probably the best thing they could do, right. So taking time on a daily basis to practice bringing their attention back. Um, and then you guys mentioned breathing and then having like an anchor thought or like an anchor action, something to anchor your thinking back into, and then kind of almost like a spotlight or like a flashlight to where as, as I think you called it a zoom lens. Maybe that was probably more accurate, Sasha, of having a zoom lens to bring your focus back into where it should be. Does that kind of encapsulate kind of the debriefing in a way? Yeah, that, you hit on a lot of the key points. Yeah. And you, you keep hearing us talk about pre-performance, post-performance rituals. It's, mm-hmm. As you said, it's the the training before you hit the actual event. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And then also there's sort of this element of how do I prep myself right up to the point of go time? And then you kind of can let, let it go and your training takes over in a way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, yeah. I had a, I had a basketball coach when I was younger. He always told me that whenever, whenever you messed up, it's not that thing that you messed up. It's the thing right before the thing that you messed up. That's, (laughs) that's, that's where you screwed up. So, If you're if right. you missed a shot, it's probably not the shot that you missed. It's probably because your feet were all out of balance or your hips weren't turned. So yeah, I think that's I think a lot of athletes and a lot of just performers in general they focus so much on the performance that they forget that successful performance probably they are they it happened before the game even started. Yeah, and those um, things amplify right. So if you can right, catch yeah. it earlier in that chain that you were describing of the pre pre pre, then then you can do something about it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, that, that's something that people need to rewind and listen to the beginning of this conversation about the the pre-performance. And I, I really want to, I mean, if you guys are cool with it, I want to go there because I think that's something that's so important that people just don't spend enough time thinking about. They just kind of, everything is like practice for the game, practice for the game, practice for the game, 
Or in reality, if you have a routine before a game or if you have a pre-performance routine and you stick to that process, you're doing the, you're, you're, you're preparing for the game, right? So what, what are some of those, like, can you guys maybe talk about some of those pre-performance routines or some actions that, that, that would be very helpful for individuals to be able to start incorporating? Sasha, as an athlete, I really want you to talk about what you do um, first, and then I can definitely jump in. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. excited to jump in. <laughs> I'm excited about this one too. And I know we all have these pre-performance routines that we pull from. So, um, yeah, I mean, I had, um, a ritual in the start gate of, um, I would visualize the course coming up that I had inspected and then I would move my body, um, you know, warm it up physically, but also it helped me kind of drop all the, the stuff that was happening in my mind. Um, and I would run myself through, uh, these, these lines of my, you know, my equipment's dialed, my mind's ready, my body is strong, whether it's true or not, <laughs> just to, to tee it up that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would let it all drop and, and go. And I really, there was that key piece of kind of like checking in with the body, getting the emotional piece dialed and not getting too pulled into the future and envisioning myself on the podium and how great it'd be to have a medal, right? Not getting lost in the mountains below me because there was still work to do. And so it was that really present moment focused of bringing myself back to what's right here and not letting, you know, what could have been done better in the training before show up, not letting the visions of what's in the future show up and just getting really, really present moment focus. And then there's kind of a release and then everything, forget about everything. And um, like I said, the training takes over. And I, I pulled, I pulled this into my professional life too. I was, you know, going into a really hard conversation um, with my team in the past. And in the morning I was waking up and listening to my pump up music and, you know, in my, as I'm getting ready. And so I really do pull kind of these lessons from my athlete life and that training into my day-to-day and my relationships and my, in my professional life. It's like a living metaphor of when I don't know what to Mm -hmm. do, I turn to that and I remember and and then integrate it. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm like speechless. (laughs) That's part. That's amazing. The cool thing is, um, is that just my approach is pretty much spot on. Um, and I think that for performers, um, I think that the ones that really are focused on taking it to the next level, they're figuring this stuff out. And Sasha's obviously one. She's been working on her mental game for a while. Um, and so to have developed a pre-performance routine to that detail is really impressive and really a model in, in which anybody listening uh, from an athletic standpoint, they, 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 they definitely should take that cue. Um, but I, you know, I listened to your um, playing with fear versus love podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Michael Jordan fan. I was a bulls fan. Um, okay. This, this interview's ending now then. <laughs> sorry you, you uh, broke I, my heart I, too many times just, <laughs> I just know, give us like one man Gosh. We, brad and i went to game seven or no game yeah the, yeah where you pushed off of the jazz versus the bulls i'm yes. fired up man 
<laughs> we got some oh stories. Oh my god! All right. <laughs> so you had to bring that podcast. up. I know, I know. Well, actually, you I know I brought it up. Podcast, I'm sorry. So um, I think everybody in the in the world is is watching yeah. um, the Last Dance, or is or they watched it. But you said playing with fear releases chemicals that slow or inhibit our performance. Mm-hmm. Obviously cortisol is is energy taking it's consuming energy and then playing with love releases chemicals that speed our or enhance our performance so the oxytocin is acts as fuel um but you if there's nobody that has ever watched michael jordan that would ever question whether he loved the game right that that guy he just loved the game but he was and he was intentional about winning you watch the documentary or if you go back to the nineties and watch any of that, you just knew his intention when he got on the, on the court was to win. Um, and as I consider that, I just, I know that that's the same with all performers. They are intentional in their processes. They're intentional in their focus. They're intentional with their effort. They're just intentional about winning. And so as I considered you know, the, the podcast and, and obviously listening to uh, the, the, your, your words on playing with fear versus love, I just, I believe, and that's really at the heart of what RSG is, that the best way to consistently prime yourself to be in the zone is to create a pre-performance routine that is based around intentionality. If you can have a routine, and, and Sasha said, uh, something to the effect that it's like a life philosophy or just um, I, I put it as my mantra, but I created a mantra for my kids years ago, right before they would get into the batter's box. And as actually, as they were walking into the batter's box and the, the, their pre-performance routine became set your mind. And it was first to start with intention. What is it that you want to do right now as you approach this opportunity? What, what outcome do you want? And so I talked to them about, you need to set your mind. You can't get lost in um, what I did last time or what my batting average might be in the future. It has to be right now. What is it that you want to do? And then once you get in the box, set your body. Connect from your feet to your hands. Grab a couple of breaths. Get settled in. And as a performer, as a competitor, get ready for a fight. And so as they, they're, they're walking through this process and they're thinking about um, their performance in this context, all of a sudden their physiology changes. They're a little bit more forward on their toes. They're, they're a little bit more tense through their shoulders and ready to respond to what's coming. And then finally, it's set your focus because they've done everything that they can do up until that point. They've trained for it. They've swung the swings they've shot the free throws whatever it is they put the work in over and over again and now they're at this moment and like sasha sasha said at this point all you can do is just focus on what's next and trust that it's all going to work out it's letting go of outcome and just going swinging for the fences and so that mantra of set your mind set your body set your focus became their pre-performance routine and it's really something that i teach Again, like Monica said, whether it's an athlete um, playing a, a sport or if it's a corporate athlete uh, that is preparing for a presentation, it's all the same. Yeah. Can you say that? So you said set your mind. Did you say set your set your 
Yeah, set your mind, set your body, set your focus. Got it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Set part of ready, set, go. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, yeah, I think that's and the same goes. Yeah, no, go ahead. Like if you're going to public speak publicly, mm-hmm. sorry to no. cut you off. Um, same thing. You're going to go up in front of a crowd. Those your breath gets shallow, your heart rate accelerates, your breath, your voice gets shaky. You got to plan for that, mm-hmm. and you're aware of what's happening. And you go, okay, I'm going to grab my breath. I'm going to set my focus. I'm going to go. You, same thing. Set, set, set your mind. What are you trying to do? Set your body, get those breaths, set your focus and let go. No, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I think one of the things that in the work that I have with athletes too, it's the time is so important in sports. I mean, the, the, every, most every sport has some element of time to it. Uh, and that yep. time is and the time that you invest in training and, and being a peak performer and playing at your best the investment of time is so important. And what you just described, like that short phrase, the investment of time, it's like three seconds long, but the, va- the, the, the outcome that you achieve from that three seconds is so vast. And just spending those three seconds to set your mind, set your body, set your focus, our neuro, our, the neurons in our mind are doing that for us. It's just reminding our neurons to do that. And it happens so quickly, but those three seconds that you invest has this incredible outcome and this incredible result from it. So I think that that was, that was amazing. And I, I've never thought about the intention part that way. I think that's really cool. Um, there was a, I, I get, I get, my clients will send me just the most random things, but I, I had a daughter about a, almost a year ago and they sent me this like random awesome. statistic about, you know, how dads will always say like, what are your intentions with my daughter? So in 2017, <laughs> they had this statistic about like this, this statement and like, does it actually like work? And the, there was this like crazy statistic about like 79% of people that said their intentions followed through with those intentions. So just, just right. being asked, like, what are your intentions? 79% of the time, whatever you hear is what's going to happen. Like as a dad, that's comforting. Well, hopefully they say the right thing to you, but like, like that's a, right. that's comforting to know that like 80, almost 80% of the time, like you can kind of bank that that's, what's going to happen. But same thing here, right? Like if you tell your mind and your body, what's about to happen, this is the intention that we're going to go into this with, right? We're clear, deliberate, you're focused. You're probably statistically going to perform way better than if you kind of just go into it and be like, well, see what happens. We, we've done everything exactly. we can, yeah. right? Like that, I love that. That's something that, again, this y'all need to rewind this and listen to that part again. That intention, that intentionality of performance. And just like you said, Jordan, same thing. There was no doubt. As soon as he walked in, it was that dude is locked in and he knows exactly what he's going to do. And it's not pretty for the other team most of the time, especially <laughs> my jazz. Right. Especially my jazz. Still, I'm sorry. Still I, Utah, it. yeah, for life. Utah for life. It's a sad time, but. Okay. the other way another way that um applies just like in a corporate setting I, I don't allow my teams to ask can we it's how can we mm. because if you just think about the subtlety of the intentionality can we is still spending energy on whether or not we can it's a waste we're going to assume we can and we're going to allocate our mental energy to how and we're going to assume we can. And then that's our best chance of a positive outcome. So we don't ask, can we? We ask, what can we do? How can we do it? And, and that's how we allocate our mental energy. Again, it just goes back to, like Brad said, intentionality. Mm-hmm. Man, that's and awesome. What, 
Yeah. And what is happening there is changing the physiology, right? So I, I really love that Monica brought up the example of public speaking because that's the parallel that also comes up with clients that I see of, of that jumping off the cliff, right? It's, it's kind of scary no matter what. Even if you speak in front of long, large audiences as your career, there's still that you're getting amped up and you can feel it in your body. And so um, I've heard and, and use reframing of just, you know, nervousness feels pretty darn similar physiologically to excitement or um, the adrenaline rush that you need to, to get up and do things like speak in front of a large audience or, um, you know, jump in and, and, and take the shot. So uh, can you tell I'm not a team sport athlete? I was, I was trying to grab, I'm like, what, what do you, uh, <laughs> jump off the cliff, I'll, I'll stay in my lane. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's so important because with, with training and with performance, any stressor adds to the load of you, what your stress system's taking on, what your nervous mm-hmm. system's taking on. And so those internal thoughts, those those emotions, those judgments can, can add a load. Um, I found this and I imagine Brad and Monica, you experienced this on long runs. It's like your mind can start going. And sometimes that's sort of therapeutic because you're kind of working through the problem or whatever. But I've also noticed when that actually starts to make me add tension to my experience or, um, and it can really add a load that becomes too much. If I'm trying to train at a certain heart rate, for example, and keep it low, you can really kind of see the difference of when you're chewing on every stressful situation that's in your life right now, while you're, you're going on this run or this hike, your system's getting amped up too. And so that doesn't serve you to, so you can take that layer off so that you're only getting the really precise stress that you want for that performance activity that you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. When I work with a with some of the army army individuals I work with, some of the soldiers, when they go on these long rocks, they'll go on like 20 mile rocks with these like 50, 60 pound rocks. Uh, that was one of the things that one of them had mentioned was like stress is just like, you already have a 50 pound rock. And then as you're going, you're adding rocks to that rock as you go. And it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So finding a way to let go of that stress and eliminate that stress, it releases the kind of the taxing element on the system there and allows you to, focus and perform way, way more effectively. Exactly. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. The initial stressor is going to be there no matter what inherent in the activity, but we don't need to add on and make that bag Mm -hmm. heavier. Yeah. And from what you guys kind of mentioned too, like having that pre-performance routine, one of the, I mean, I would assume one of the main purposes of that is to eliminate stress or to minimize the stress of performance. Um, So yeah, Ultimately, and I think that's part of that's some of what I think is important to teach is that stress in itself um, is not necessarily bad. There's good stress. Mm-hmm. That's how we grow. That's how we become resilient. That's how, you know, we we ad- that's it's the resistance so that we we can become stronger. And so the the key is to find that that point when we go from you stress or good stress to distress mm. and playing with that edge um, so that we can, you know, minimize having to go over and like that. And, and like you're talking about. So uh, those pre-performance routines, definitely they're going to help you just with that, that framework, that, 
that mental approach. But what Brad was speaking about was kind of this precision of stress. And so, especially in performance, there's kind of that inherent stress that's there. So we're, we're sort of getting to work with the variables that we can control um, to make mm-hmm. sure that the load doesn't tip over into overwhelming what our system can handle. Yeah, no, I think that's a, yeah, I mean, I think that I haven't thought about that difference in a while, like the you stress and distress. I like that kind of the, the, mm-hmm. the difference there. And I think a lot of times some, some people will try to add on stress to almost like, so like I've heard, I've heard a coach talk about how like in the middle of the season, like a baseball season, for example, where you got 162 games, like game 78, like is so menial and minuscule in the grand scheme of things. And they'll try to like, you know, add different stress to the game to make it more intense or make it more meaningful for them. But again, I think there's this point of just adding negative stress and an ineffective stress to a, to a performance just negates the impact and the mm-hmm. benefit of that. Right. So, um, part of MP is, is there like anything, any like training that y'all do with like kind of understanding stress and using stress for your benefit? Is there anything in there that kind of incorporates that element of stress and using stress to a, for a positive? Yeah, it's, um, so MPEAK is, is kind of a sister program to mindfulness-based stress reduction, which was really okay. yeah. more specifically works with the stress reactivity cycle, right. but we definitely, you know, we flex with the group and what they, they need. So especially if groups don't come with having taken that course as well, we, we highlight in a bigger way how this system works and how it can impact your performance. Um, and you end up, you know, someone might kind of come in the door with one specific performance area, whether it's their work as a law enforcement officer or their sport. Um, but it ends up being whole person training, right? Because it, it, we can't compartmentalize out, um, especially the the load that is inherent in training, right? Like you think of um, an endurance athlete and you're specifically ramping up training loads in order to have adaptation and build strength. If you're strength, if you're strength training your muscles, same thing. Um, you need stress in order to facilitate that adaptation and growth. But if you're going through that training process and you're also not paying attention to what happens when you're fighting fires all day at work for, you know, 10 hour days (laughs) on top of your training, um, you can't, you really need to shift the training load to account for that. I've mm-hmm. been notorious for that recently in my, you know, now moving into kind of a second career as an athlete and I'm, it's not full-time anymore. I'm a professional at the same time. And so, you know, a lot of our weekend warriors, same thing. It's like we're balancing family and work and sport. And if you're trying to consider your training for your sport without seeing the stress load of the other two, you're either going to end up overtrained and burned out or you, you know, you can't, you can't accurately mm-hmm. track the way you would if you're just, um, if you include those in, so for sure, yeah, and especially yeah. with a lot of college, high school athletes, when with school, with relationships, with other, so many other things, it's kind of competing for that time and kind of inviting stress into it as well. It's that's huge to be able to kind of manage all that and be able to effectively do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brad, yeah. Are you back? Do it, I have you back? No, it looks like Maybe, they popped oh, off here. I can popped off. Okay, we'll get we'll get them back. Them. I, I just texted him as well. Okay, perfect. Then I won't, I won't text too. No. So while, well, while I've got you, Sasha, I think this will be, I've kind of a, 
question kind of more specifically for you. Um, when you were skiing, what was some of like the moments or some of the experiences that you can like look back on? And when it comes to flow, right? I just feel like skiing is one mm-hmm. of those sports that's so like you you're in flow. I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like those extreme sports you're in flow a lot more than you would be in like a team sport. I think so. And also because they're um, short stints. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, they're maybe two minutes long. Yeah. Um, and so you, you are in flow kind of the full duration versus, um, you know, now I'm doing in enduro mountain bike races over six hours and you can't be in flow for six hours. So, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So fully the, you know, the time slowing down thing happened and it mm-hmm. was, um, it's, that effortlessness comes into play and it's, it's a, it's a different, different awareness in that. Um, the funny thing is that you, you train flow or sort of set the stage for flow are the director of MP, Pete Kirchmer, who's a friend and a, a, a mentor of all of us um, use, he says, you know, flow is accident is an accident, but training mindfulness makes you more accident prone and so, um, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really paradoxical in a way that you, you train this into being by training a very precise attention and then it opens up into this more wider awareness that things are just happening effortlessly and you don't have to force the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way there is this something that's very active with your attention. So, um, you know, absolutely the, there's risk inherent in just the environment with, with skiing and these competitions, you're in the back country, you know, we've had venues slide with avalanches and then we've had to find a new venue. So mm-hmm. in those risk inherent environments, you, you, we do sort of more naturally step into this more heightened awareness that, uh, allows for flow. Um, but I think that, the elements of that that we can pull to so that flow shows up more in other areas of our life or our daily life is that kind of focused attention that then allows for this more open awareness and, and your kind of your training takes over. You keep hearing mm-hmm. me say that, no, but, yeah. um, this curiosity, this, this bringing a, a freshness and a newness, this beginner's mind to things that might seem mundane and day to day so that you don't get into these rote patterns um, because that's a quality too of that's just in the environment with so much risk, with so much change, it's always going to be fresh and new. Um, so if you can pull that into, you know, your work day or uh, just kind of the day-to-day things that don't have that element of risk and excitement built in, but you can make them feel new and fresh, it's more likely flow can show up there as well. Yeah. Is there, is there an experience that comes to mind, like one that sticks out more than others about performing in flow while you were skiing or, or even like biking and things like that? Is there any experience that sticks out? Yeah. And it has to do with not letting my mind get in the way. So it, I really, uh, this embedded attention in the body was so useful for me and it's, um, Yes, you kind of you set the stage with intentions and these these uh, 
how you're thinking and you kind of um, are very precise with your mind. But then at some point you sort of let that go away and the body can be a place to, to then anchor in and go. So um, I share I, one example that because fear was there so, so strongly and apparently, um, yeah, I, I, there was this one time I was filming with, um, Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. We were doing a, a women's edit for a film competition and we were filming with this cliff that you couldn't see your landing until after you took off and it was a really narrow shoot. And so you had to be pretty precise with what you landed. So you would walk up to it, you would spot your landing and you pick a point in the horizon as your takeoff point, but you wouldn't actually see where you would land. You're just kind of aiming with that marker in, in your visual field. And it was terrifying to look at. It was really scary. And a wiser veteran skier uh, helped me with this, this line that I've kind of carried with me for a while of, um, you know, no matter what, your system's going to think this is scary. Like, it looks scary. Again, um, you, you know, you're kind of as any human looking into this thing would feel afraid. But um, I got to kind of then decide what that fear meant. And I spoke about that a little bit earlier, but, mm-hmm. um, that, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like in the starting gate, these fear and these other emotions could definitely be there would frequently show up. Um, but then it's acknowledging them and then being able to put them aside that would then let flow come. And so I, I think of one, 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 you know, favorite run, it, it was, um, and there are just days where you kind of know that you're on and if you can pull this off, it's going to be good. It's, it's going to be the winning run or mm-hmm. whatever, if it's in the game, but you're kind of, you know, when you're primed and ready to go. Um, and there's sort of a sense there of, of like, you've built the foundation for it's, it's those preconditions of flow. Of course, you're not, you know, I wasn't thinking about it in that way, but it was like those, those boxes had been checked and I could just um, let it emerge. It's really an emergent property. Yeah. Hey guys, oh, that's that's awesome. Sorry about that. Hey, you're back. You're back. <laughs> no worries. You are. So we were just uh, talking yeah, I about. Heard, I heard we kind of got into flow a little bit. Um, and um, uh, yeah, the story regarding that's awesome. Hmm. Yeah, no, that was amazing. I, that's, I can't imagine like jumping off something and not knowing where you're going to land. When you said that, I was like, a part of my stomach just kind of like, ooh. So, uh, it feels like public speaking. <laughs> I would rather public speak than jump off something like that. But uh, so, Brad, do you have kind of an ex- a recent experience, or maybe not recent, but just something that when you think about being in flow, What's like an experience that sticks out to you? Probably the one that stands out most is related to my experience um, in the Moab 200. And it was, it kind of shifted my thinking about flow in that there's this idea maybe that flow happens when everything is perfect and when you're feeling um great and (laughs) but in in this particular case it wasn't that wasn't the case at all i had i had come upon mile i think 
probably 200 and 202 at that, at that aid station. And I was a wreck. I was a complete wreck. I just, um, I made it as far as I made it. Uh, but I came into the aid station and I had about an hour to rest and then to turn around and get back out before the cutoff. And my feet were just, they were super inflamed. Um, they were like <laughs> sausages that were just over, just, yeah, they were just not good. My feet, I had blisters all over, um, in between my toes, tops of bottoms of my toes. And it felt like everything, every step was stepping on glass. Um, but I got out of that aid station and somewhere in our archives, I've got video of me hobbling out like an 80 year old man. And somewhere shortly after leaving that aid station, um, Monica was, she was my only crew member for this 200 mile race. And she was doing, I mean, she did a phenomenal job, especially for neither one of us doing anything like this ever. And she had texted me shortly after I le uh, left that aid station. I was probably about two miles out into a, I think a, probably a 16 mile section. And um, she texted me and <laughs> simply with a question, do you plan to finish this race? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm like, well, I texted back as I'm hobbling along porcupine uh, trail in Moab. And I said, well, yeah. And she said, well, you need to get moving. And she, it was the first time in the last four days that she had ever, you know, showed any concern with my time. She knew I was coming up close to the end of it. And it was actually, you know, within reach and she was just watching my time and, and concerned. And so at that point, there was just something in me, my focus turned completely to just moving as quickly and as, and as efficiently as possible. And after 200 plus miles, I had a set of poles and I was traveling down the, probably the most technical trail in Moab. It's a mountain biking trail. And there was a period of probably about two miles straight in which I know I, I felt like water. I felt like I was in flow going down the trail across the rocks. Um, I had a friend that I was traveling with uh, that I connected with on the race. And he, a couple of times he looked at me like, what in the world are you doing? And for those couple of miles I know I was in a, I was completely just in my element and every step felt like it was the right step um, even down these these um, steep technical rocks everything just felt right um, but also in that moment um, actually maybe not in that moment two miles later I realized that I was so far outside of myself that I I put way too much strain on my body with 200 miles in. And um, at that point, everything started to break down in my, in my legs. <laughs> but it was an experience of flow that was um, unlike what most typical descriptions of flow might be uh, in, in a different context. Mm -hmm. I was completely in the moment, completely um, really kind of happy and, and enjoying it and within my skill set and the challenge 
Um, but I, 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 I obviously stayed there too long. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's such a good point. Yeah. And what Monica provided for Brad in that moment of, Hey, if you're going to finish this, this is, you know, where you are in the race was that immediate mm-hmm. feedback. So with flow, you kind of need that, that feedback to be apparent. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're speaking and you're not quite sure how your audience is receiving something, flow isn't there. You're not, you're not able to read the signals in a clear way. And so with MPEAK, we pull from things like the, the inner um, compassionate coach versus the self-critical coach, right? Because as soon as we get into these um, lines in our mind of, oh, are they you know, am I doing this right? Or are they getting what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. That can get in the way. So sure. uh, I spotted that in your story. And I wanted to highlight that as a key, yes. key piece that played a, a pivotal role. No, there. that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, like yeah. And, I think yeah. kind of when you're very introductory, think, like very kind of very one or flow 101, right? That's kind of the the challenge is just in the skill or kind of almost meeting. And sometimes the challenge is a little bit higher than the skill. And I think for that, that's kind of what I was, when you were talking, you know, it seemed like you obviously knew the challenge was great, but then there was almost this like competitiveness part of you. That's like, and that she probably knew that about you, right? Like where, Hey, if you're going to finish this, you got to kind of pick it up. And like that challenge just became a little bit greater. And I think that's one of, for me, in my experience, right? Like that's one of the things that that's like one of the, the sparks of flow is when you recognize the challenge is just a little bit above your skill this like inner competitor just comes out and this like just wants to overcome that challenge where you knew it was challenging. Right. And even Sasha, when you talked about like that, that hill, that hill is you knew it was going to be challenging, but that awareness of where the challenge and the threat level is being just a little bit above your skill. To me, that's one of the main like primers of flow. That's one of the key things like flow one Oh one is recognizing that the challenge is just a little bit greater than the skill that you currently have. And that competitor comes out in you. And can you guys real mm-hmm. quick, you mentioned like the two types of coaches, like you said, the crit, the inner critic. And what was the other one? And the what's like the, coach. the, the one sentence, like what, what are those? What was the difference? I guess. I know. It's I, very, like, in fact, we spent some time in and peak. <laughs> identifying we'll have you go back and remember um you know the critical coach because you probably all have one at some point in your life or um you can give mm-hmm. your real person face and voice to it or you can imagine one um whether it's a parent or an old coach or a teacher or somebody who was critical of you that demoralized you you can usually find one <laughs> so just identifying it and 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 here's the crazy thing you go thank you i know you were trying to protect me i appreciate you i, I got it from here i don't need you now I, and, and you can identify that compassionate coach that believes in you can take adversity and go, I've learned from that. And, and that's where that resilience comes from. It's opposite of what you might think. Compassion isn't weak. Self-compassion is the ability to be resilient and to learn from adversity and learn from mistakes and, and bounce back from trials and come back stronger. And so finding that voice and understanding the difference and choosing to believe. The coach. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. Compassion gets a gets does, a pushy right? rap in the world of performance. But I don't know anything stronger than 
you know, turning toward able to hold without fighting it, without pushing it away, wanting it to be different, all the situations of my life, not just the good ones. And, and that's what compassion is really able to open to all of that. Uh, and it's hard <laughs> when it's really hard. Yeah, no, I, I um, couldn't agree more. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, so as we wrap up, I could talk for like 10 more hours with you guys. And this is awesome. I've loved this. So as we kind of wrap up, I wanted to kind of ask maybe a little bit more detail or kind of have you guys share a little bit more. Um, I know you guys kind of referenced it a little bit about the workshop that you'll be doing in July. Can you talk a little bit more about kind of what that is or and just kind of some details about what that workshop is focused on and kind of who it's for and kind of how it can improve those individuals' performance that, that will be attending? Yeah, Sasha, you want it? Sure. Um, yeah. So the the workshop will run from Friday evening to to Sunday afternoon, and it's it's based on MPEAK. And you know, really, I mean, I think for a lot of us performers that are in our minds right now are our first responders and law enforcement and teachers and you know those frontline um, workers that have been been supporting everyone through this this pandemic um so we're really trying to push out into our networks to bring bring that audience in um as well as athletes who have had schedules change as well as parents who have had schedules changed and i think um we really have an opportunity right now because so the the sister course that i teach as of for resilience and kind of more of the therapeutic mindfulness course is mindfulness-based stress reduction and Normally, people come into that course once things mm-hmm. have already broken down, right? Like athletes, once they've had an injury or something has stopped what they've been doing from working. And um, we've sort of all been forced to be stopped with this pandemic and staying at home and had things changed on us. And so we can we can kind of leverage this moment in time without needing to fall flat on our face in our in our training or in our health. Um, so I see really an opportunity to kind of dig in, um, carve out a space in your, your home, carve out time that's just for you. You know, we'll keep an eye on the schedule. You don't have to worry about the time as we go through these this long weekend together. It's really meant to be um, just an immersive opportunity to pour resources into to you and your capacities and leveraging your strengths so that um, you can take it back to your performance areas, whether that's Monday, the day right after we end, or if it's when your event mm-hmm. comes back on, you know, in the calendar, whenever that happens. Awesome. Oh, that's great. And uh, I know we'll, I'll be kind of posting some information about that, but um, about the, the workshop there. And, and that's in July, is it 10th through the 12th, right? Perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's no, I mean, right. this is a really yeah. cool opportunity for anyone that wants kind of this, this, this experience and to learn more about it. I've just, I've been so impressed with how many people have taken advantage of this opportunity um, to work on like the mental side of things and maybe the physical side, you know, you're not able to go to a gym, you're not able to go to your facilities to train, but so many people have taken advantage of like the mental component and improving their, their mental game this is a great opportunity to do just that. And I feel like it's more than that, right? It's more than just the mental side of things where this is kind of an all encompassing 
kind of opportunity to really dive deeper into MPEAK and to learn more about how you can enhance your performance using this tool. So for anyone that has ever thought about learning more about MPEAK or, or this conversation has really kind of piqued <laughs> your interest, sorry, no pun intended there. Um, the, this would be an awesome opportunity to really learn and dive into it a little bit deeper. And uh, this would be just a great, great opportunity for people to take advantage of. Uh, I know from, from everything I've studied, MPEAK is one of those kind of like hidden gems within performance that it makes so much sense and it clears up so many things. This would be a yeah, great opportunity. Yeah, and if you want details, really if you it. just go to rsgperformance.com, um, all the details of the workshop are there. So whether you're a corporate executive, entrepreneur, athlete, first responder, healthcare worker, teacher, parent, just basically anybody seeking to meet your goals and achieve new levels of performance, uh, this is for you. This is for you. Yeah, awesome. Well, like I said, I could probably talk to you guys for another couple of hours, but yeah. I mean, probably this <laughs> no, this has been awesome. in our life, right? Thank you very much. <laughs> we really could. Thank you Thanks guys for so coming much, on. I, I seriously, I can't thank you enough. This has been awesome. I hope this is not the last time we do this. I think this is so cool. You guys have so many more things to share, I know. And uh, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. It was super helpful. Uh, I have notes, pages of notes from things that you guys said and I hope everyone listening gathered some incredible value from this. Um, do you guys have, I know you mentioned your, the website, RSG performance, right? Uh, where else are you guys located? I know obviously social media kind of stuff like that. Where, where can people kind of get some more information about the work? Go ahead, you guys are doing? Um, yeah. Well, so, so for that upcoming workshop in Brad and Mon and Monica's work, RSG performance, um, and then I'm mountain mine project. So um, both of those places, our websites, our social is all the same. Uh, um, what is the word for your social media? Um, Handles. <laughs> not tags. Handles. Yeah, you can find yeah. us. I just learned that like, the other day. I'm not yeah. like, I'm not very savvy with it either. Uh, this is so bad. Right, right. We better figure this out before we do our MP for teens. <laughs> But yeah, so RSG performance and then cool. awesome. Okay, that is yeah. No, those are those are awesome. I know um, the workshop, everything is in there. I'm I'm looking at it right now, actually, um, about some of the topics that are there, the objectives, and it should be an awesome workshop, you guys. Again, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate all of your in insight and all of your knowledge that you just dropped on all of us. This is definitely one of those like pause play episodes where you got to rewind, pause it listen to it, di digest it and play it again. So everyone that listened to this, thank you so much. And uh, I know, I hope that we can have you guys on again to kind of talk a little bit more. I could talk about flow for hours on end. So Sounds I good. appreciate Our you guys thanks coming on the show. Yeah, thanks. All right, you guys. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much, Christian. All right, guys. Loved take it. care.